episode of this podcast you shouldn't ignore, where we'll be talking all things Australian politics in the lead up to the 2019 federal election. Maybe politics isn't something you've cared a lot about in the past. Maybe it's something you wish you got taught more about in school. Maybe you're a passionate voter who just really doesn't know which moron, sorry, politician to vote for this election. Either way, we're really glad you're here with us. Today we're going to start with the basics and talk about how your government actually works how this affects who you vote for, and we're going to dive a bit deeper into who you're actually voting for anyway and why it all matters. I'm going to be talking about the two major political parties quite a bit, so for future reference, uh, when I say Labour, it refers to the Australian Labour Party, and the Coalition refers to the two parties that have made an agreement to work together, so the Liberal National Party and the Nationals Party. So, without further ado, let's get to it. How Your Government Works At its most basic, the Australian political system is made up of two houses, called the Upper and Lower House, or the Senate and the House of Representatives is their other name. If the government wants to make any new laws or change old laws, they can only come into effect if both houses of politics vote yes on them. Why do we need two houses? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. First, I'll break down what each of the houses are. So, first we're going to look at the House of Representatives, also called the Lower House. So, this chamber has 150 seats with one elected representative per seat. Australia is divided on a map into the regions that make up these seats, and the seats are determined by population and area. So the local politician that's elected to sit in this seat is called your local member of parliament. So your local member is literally someone who is meant to represent local interests to you. That's it. I'm gonna report this to me member of parliament. Hey, Gus, I got something to report to you. For example, one of the Victorian seats called Chisholm represents the following suburbs, Box Hill, Chadston, Mount Waverley, Blackburn, and a few others. The size of the seats can vary slightly state to state, and in Victoria, one seat is meant to roughly cover about 100,000 people, although this again can vary. This election you'll be voting on who you want your local of member for parliament to be for your area. Hey, Gus! Usually, you get to choose between six candidates each representing a different political party. The winner of the vote in your seat gets to sit in Parliament for three years. The important thing to know about voting in the House of Representatives is, whichever party wins the most seats in this House gets to become the government, and the leader of their party gets to become the Prime Minister. Hey! Mr Prime Minister! Andy! Aye, mate. What's a good word? Since there's 150 seats in the lower house, a party needs to win 76 seats or more to win government. So, for example, if this election the Labor Party wins 76 seats or more, then the leader of the Labor Party, Bill Shorten, will become PM. Last election, the Coalition, aka the Liberal National Party and the Nationals, won a combined 76 seats, so Malcolm Turnbull became Prime Minister as he was head of the Liberal National Party at that time. Labor finished with 69 seats, the Greens won, four seats went to independents, and two others to minor parties. What's really interesting is that with some retirements and resignations from sitting politicians in recent years, some of those local seats went up for individual election again. And the local people in that region got to vote on who they wanted to sit in Parliament again. The Liberals actually lost some of their seats with some of those by-elections, so as it currently stands, the Coalition only have 74 seats in the lower house, so if they want to win back government this election in 2019, they need to win some seats back. Now, for some of the mass withers sitting at home, you might have cottoned onto something fairly early already. 
So if one seat is roughly 100,000 people, you might be thinking, doesn't this mean that the biggest states in Australia have a lot more seats? Well, yes, they do. If you were to break up the House of Representatives by state, you would find the following. New South Wales, which, for example, has a population of about 7.5 million people, has 47 seats in the lower house. Victoria has the next biggest population by state, so it's got 6.4 million people when it gets 38 seats. And you might notice that already that's over half the parliament is just New South Wales and Victorian seats. Queensland with 5 million people has 30 seats, Western Australia has 16 seats, South Australia 10 seats, Tasmania 5 seats, Australian Capital Territory has 4 seats, and the Northern Territory, which has the smallest population in Australia with 244,000 people, roughly, they get 2 seats. Your next question might be, now wait a minute, doesn't this make politics really unfair for the smaller states? Couldn't Victoria and New South Wales just vote on laws that give them all the money in the budget forever? Well, that's a great question, and it brings us to role as the Upper House, also known as the Senate. I am the Senate. Back when individual states of Australia came together to form a country in 1901, the smaller colonies wanted to make sure they weren't going to be bullied by the bigger states. So, they created the Senate to ensure the balance of power was evenly shared. Remember, for laws to come into reality, they have to be voted on by both the lower house and the upper house in order for them to be passed. The Senate, or the upper house, has 76 seats, and each state gets 12 seats each, regardless of how many people live in each state. The two territories, ACT and Northern Territory, get two Senate seats each. This means the smaller states can band together and block any unfair legislation from getting through if they need to. An elected senator gets to stay in power for six years. Each election, which is around every three years, half the Senate is up for re-election. This means you'll be voting on for who you want your six senators to be for your state this election. So just to recap, you're voting on one member of parliament for the House of Representatives, and you're voting for six senators. Now, the Senate can't form government, but can be a very powerful force in influencing policy. For example, if a government has a majority in the lower house, but doesn't have a majority in the Senate, it means that to pass any laws, they have to negotiate with senators from other parties and make changes to get them to agree to vote on their laws. Now, this scenario gives quite a bit of power to what is referred to as the crossbench, the group of senators that aren't from either of the major parties that need to be negotiated with to help pass laws. This scenario is where groups such as independent senators or minor parties such as the Greens or One Nation can have quite a bit of say on any changes to proposed legislation. And this was the case last election. So in 2016, the coalition won 30 Senate seats, but any vote needs a majority of 39 votes to pass. So, for every piece of legislation put to the Senate, the coalition had to convince nine senators to vote with them. The pros of this are it stops any extreme or really controversial laws getting pa passed without a pretty thorough debate. Uh, the downside being it often makes it harder for legislation to get passed by the sitting government. Now, on the flip side, another example is if the coalition had a majority of um, representatives in both the Senate and the lower house, uh, it makes things much easier for them to pass through because they just vote on the legislation they want. The downside of this is that if they have a majority in both the lower house and the Senate, because there's no resistance to controversial laws getting through, you can get things such as when Coalition Prime Minister John Howard introduced the now infamous work choices laws in 2006 that, among other things, changed the rules about unfair dismissal at work. And these laws were later repealed after Kevin Rudd and the Labor Party won the 2007 election. So, there you have it. That's basically how our political system works. Now that we understand that, we can move on to our next topic. 
So how does voting work again? Australia uses a system called full preferential voting, also known as instant runoff voting. Don't worry if that's a mouthful, I'm going to explain it a bit. So, ballots are initially counted for each voter's top choice. If a candidate has more than half of the vote, based on first choices, that candidate wins. If not, then the candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated. The voters who selected that defeated candidate as their first choice then have their votes added to the total votes of their next choice. This process continues until a candidate has more than half the votes. And there's a nice little flowchart I found online which I'm going to upload if you're more a visual person. But essentially, they keep eliminating candidates until they come up with someone who has a majority. So when you walk into a voting booth on Saturday, May the 18th to vote for our federal election, you will be given two cards. You will be given a card to vote for, for the lower house, the House of Representatives, and you'll be given a card to vote for the Senate, the upper house. Now, as we've discussed, the lower house, you'll get to pick one candidate and you'll have a couple of different choices. And for the Senate, you'll be able to pick um, who you want the six senators to be. Now, the How to Vote cards will explain it in a little bit more detail, and there's lots of great resources you can find online for this. If I can find uh, the cartoon that I'm thinking of that explains it really well, I'll put it in the show notes. Now, for the lower house voting, you have to place your numbers 1 to 6 for your vote to count. So you pick who you want your preferred candidate to be as number 1, and then your second most preferred at number 2, and so on. You have to fill in all the boxes for your vote to count, um, otherwise it's what's known as an informal vote. Or, if you deliberately fill it in wrong because you hate politics and you think they're all scum, you, it's also known as an informal vote, or donkey vote. Now, the important thing here is, if you do an informal vote, it will not count. So, if you don't fill the card in correctly, your vote is worthless, it won't contribute to the overall results of the election. And that's really, really important to think about, and I'm going to get to more about that in a moment. The Senate card is a little bit trickier to get your head around because they have what's called above-the-line voting and below-the-line voting. So, as you might have noticed if you've ever voted before, the Senate ballot card is massive and has a big range of different senators that you can vote for and political parties you vote, can vote for. And if you're voting below the line, it can often result in you having to pick between 50 different candidates. Now, the important thing here is you're allowed to vote above the line and you only put in a one for your most preferred candidate. So say, for example, you want to vote Australian Labor Party for the Senate and you want to vote above the line, you just put a single one where the Australian Labor Party is and that's where all your votes are going. Now, if you're voting below the line, you have to number everything. So if there's 50 candidates, you have to put in 50 numbers in order of who you want your preferences to go to. So you might put, again, if you're voting Labor, you might put the six Labor senators at one, two, three, four, five, six. And then maybe second, you want to give the Greens a go and you vote seven, eight, nine. And then you might put the Liberal senators next. So they're 10, 11, 12, and so on. The important thing is with voting below the line is you have to fill in all the numbers and it has to be put in correctly. If you put in, say, for example, two number 12s by mistake, then your vote again is an informal vote and won't count. Now, you might be wondering, what's the difference between a voting above the line and voting below the line? Well, this is where the what's known as preference deals come into play. So, for example, if, say, your candidate doesn't get elected and they don't have enough votes for them to even possibly be considered being elective, maybe they came last on the electoral ballot, then their votes flow on to your next preferred choice. So uh, it, 
the votes are transferable, so it means that your vote isn't totally wasted. Now, if you vote below the line, you choose where your votes go if your candidate doesn't get in. However, if you vote above the line in the Senate, then the different political parties have made preference deals with each other to decide where their votes are going and in what order they're going. So if you vote above the line, then you're essentially handling you're essentially handing responsibility of that decision to the political party. And preference deals can be complex and tricky and a bit difficult for the average layperson to understand. So the long and short of it is, if you want more control about whether where your vote goes to, then I would suggest you vote below the line. You might have to spend a little bit more time researching all the minor parties, and there are a lot of them to figure out what the hell's going on. And even a lot of them have pretty deceptive names. Uh, so for example, just because they're called the Freedom Australia Party doesn't necessarily mean they're for freedom, it's just a fancy name they've picked. So actually look up the party's info before you vote on them, just so you're not voting blindly or accidentally voting for someone who's advocating for death for everyone, just by mistake. Go ahead! Throw your vote away! (laughs) 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 To round off our podcast for today, we're going to be talking about the most important thing I want you to take away from this episode why your vote matters. This is something I'm pretty passionate about. The most common excuse I hear from people not wanting to learn more about politics or being reluctant to get involved is the common myth that my vote doesn't actually make a difference. And you know what? These people couldn't be more wrong if they tried. What if I told you that the last federal election in 2016, the difference between the two major parties, the Coalition and Labor, was 96,547 votes nationally? Now this might seem like a lot, but remember earlier how I was talking about informal votes? People who intentionally or unintentionally stuffed their voting card so their vote didn't count? Well last election, the total number of informal votes in Australia was 720,915. That's seven and a half times more votes than was needed to decide the election and made up nearly 5% of the total vote in Australia. It gets worse! Last election, the difference between the two parties was only seven seats. Remember how I said most seats had roughly 100,000 voters per seat? Well, there were 18 seats around the country that were decided by 2% of the vote or less, i.e. less than 2,000 votes decided who won that seat. Guess what the informal vote count was for those seats? It was almost always higher than 2,000 votes, sometimes as high as 4,000 votes. Take the seat of Chisholm in Victoria, for example. This is the seat that's based in Blackburn, Glen Waverley, and Chadston, etc. So last election, that seat was decided by 2,154 votes in favour of the Liberals. The informal votes cast for that seat were 2,439 votes, so 300 votes more informal than decided the seat. The informal voters literally could have changed the outcome. And some seats were even closer, decided by a mere hundreds of votes. So don't tell me your vote doesn't count, because the maths here don't lie. Your vote does count. It's important, and it literally could change the outcome of this election. So do me a favour. Please don't throw your vote away this election. Take it seriously. Do some of your own research into the different options the parties are offering, and seriously think about why you want to vote for them. We're going to do some episodes later to help you with understanding the difference between the two parties, but for now, here's two practical strategies to you can do to make yourself more informed this election. One, you can Google ABC Vote Compass, which will give you a very short eight-minute quiz to help you decide which parties you might like and help explore some of the policies differences they're offering. Or, number two, you can Google 
ABC, your suburb name, and electorate 2019 to find out which candidates are running in your area this election. If I leave you with anything from this podcast, please remember, your vote counts. Please take it seriously. Apathy and taking a backseat from politics isn't the solution here. It gives our politicians an excuse to ignore us, particularly young people who don't want to kick up much of a fuss about politics because they're disenchanted with the whole thing. But if you want your vote to count, if you want to actually have a say in how our country is run, then please, don't throw your vote away this election. Mm